Team tank or team playoffs? Let's discuss. The Jazz are 35 and 36 and are right between a playoff spot and the top 10 lottery odds. The running youth season is over. What needs to happen for them to get back to March Madness? And for our draft segment this week, this one's going to be a fun one. We're going to be drafting our tarp top March Madness moments of all time. It's going to be good. That's going to be really good. And it's all coming up right now on The Thatcher Effect. Five, four, three, two. You're listening to The Thatcher Effect with your hosts, Nate Thatcher and Richie Osler. All right, so for today's headlines, usually Richie takes us down with what the Jazz have been through in the last but We'll discuss that in our Jazz segment. We want to get right into the the meat, you know, the, what everyone wants to hear, and that's March Madness. The best holiday of the year, the most perfect weekend. I believe it should be a federal holiday. We should have it off from work. Um, apparently, America's lost uh, about $17 billion in productivity uh, from... <laughs> none of the America's workers actually doing their jobs during that weekend. That's awesome. So I say, I say we might as well just make it a holiday and then we don't have to worry about how much money we're losing, but great first weekend, Rich. Give me your overall thoughts. What did you think about the first two rounds? Um, I feel like the big, big stories were the upsets. I mean, you got two number one seeds that didn't escape the first weekend. That's crazy. Um, One that didn't even escape the first game, which has only ever happened once before. So I feel like that was the biggest story. Um, I think Purdue's loss to FDU was huge. Arizona's loss to Princeton and Princeton getting to the Sweet 16. Credit to them. I didn't, nobody predicted that. That's awesome for them. Um, Virginia losing to Furman, opening game of the tournament. You just knew it was all going to be chaos after that. Your bracket's already busted. Hope is gone. And then um, in the second games, um, in the round of 32, the Kansas versus the Arkansas game. I thought that was, in my opinion, the game of the weekend. Um, it was just really high-level basketball. Uh, guys were taking over. Both teams had big leads. Both teams lost those leads. Um, NBA talent. It's just like that's your classic March Madness game, and it ended up with an upset. So couldn't ask for more. Yeah, I think right off the get-go, we had West Virginia, Maryland, and – it was a really rough start for Maryland. They come back, and then West Virginia answers, and it was a back-and-forth affair. Fantastic game start, and as you mentioned, Furman's right after. Also, I think no one gives Kevin Harlan the credit he deserves. There's a viral video going around of him, of the shot they got of him calling that big moment as Furman hits the shot to go up against the Cavaliers. And I was like, everyone talks about Mike Breen and like his bang moments, which, granted, that guy's a Hall of Famer. But Kevin Harlan, I am so glad he does the tournament every year because that dude makes you love your team. I, sometimes I think that he loves the teams that he's watching more than the actual fans. That's why I, I truly want Utah to go back to a March Madness because you're getting, I know Jim Nance is not going to do it anymore, but you're getting like the best of the best announcers and Kevin Harlan is OG. So him calling that, that was a top moment. But as you mentioned, Princeton, like, listen, going into March Madness, I thought, Arizona is either going to, they are going to play up to their opponents and they're going to play down to their opponents. So I thought if they do go far, they're not going to have any blowouts. And it felt like that throughout the entire game. Like I'm going to say, I didn't really feel like Arizona was going to lose it. I just felt like they were kind of leaving it for Princeton to come back because Princeton wasn't shooting it really well that game, but neither was Arizona. And then all of a sudden Princeton just rolls right in, steals that game from the Wildcats. And I was like, 
I, I should have seen that coming, but I didn't. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, the upsets really take the cake. The fact that we've been alive for the two 16 seed upsets and that it's all happened within the last five years is so beautiful. I'm so glad we got to witness it. I remember the first time when Virginia lost as a one seed, we were at Olive Garden. Uh, they had that. Un- <laughs> they had that. They had that unlimited unlimited pasta deal. And I remember we were we were probably downing our second or third bowls of pasta. Just had it on our phones, and we were just so stoked that the one seed was about to lose, and we were going to witness it. I don't know if you remember that, but I do. Oh, I, I, I remember it vividly. Hard hard to forget. And a lot of people are mad because they're like why are you, I don't want to be on like my phone during March Madness weekend, you know, like takes away the, I'll be honest, sophomore year prom, I was on my phone watching the Utes play in March Madness during the date. <laughs> and do I look back on that with regret? Absolutely not. I, I don't at all. Um, sorry to my date, but it's like, listen, it's like if March Madness is on, that's going to be my number one priority. Like through the rest of my life, probably I probably should plan around uh, family plans and stuff like that. Make sure nothing happens during that weekend. Cause March Madness is probably the most entertaining sports weekend, in my opinion, of the year. I don't know if you think any differently. Oh, I totally agree. And it sounds like you had a little bit of foresight because I don't believe the Utes have made the tournament since your sophomore prom. So they have not. Maybe, so maybe, yeah, maybe seven it's years. Karma. <laughs> oh man. So at least that's good because I know, like, I I would be very religious watching the Utes, obviously. Um, but the fact that I'm still per- pretty religious watching March Madness when it's not my team. I don't think there's anything more beautiful in life than having the split screen with four different basketball games going on at the same time. That might be the most beautiful thing that God has ever created. Well, credit to CBS and like the whole March Madness crew. They've created, at least on the Xbox streaming app, they've created their Fast Break, which is basically the equivalent of Red Zone. And it's such a pleasant viewing experience. NFL Red Zone, I think, is one of the greatest products in sports. And it just makes watching NFL on the Sunday awesome. Um, especially when so many games are going on and it's hard to keep track of which games you want to watch. And March Madness has done the same thing and it's enhanced the weekend for me. Like that's something I don't remember as a kid, but it's something I've become aware of the last couple of years. And I don't, they're just, they're figuring out this, this product has been so supreme for so many years and they keep enhancing it. They keep making it better. And honestly, like the fact that we've gotten two one seed upsets in the last five years, it's kind of it's gonna make it so more 16 seeds go in with the mentality that they can do it. And we're gonna see more of that. The last three years we've seen a 15 seed get to the second round. That's not a coincidence. Um, I'm to the second weekend. That's not a coincidence. I feel like when teams make these strides and then other teams see them do it, it just it creates like the the you can do anything. Um, it's just like, it, that's the human experience breaking boundaries. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to get all existential on us, but it's, it's really incredible. I think we're going to see more 16 seeds upset one seeds, um, before our lives are over. Yeah. I think what's great about the tournament now is that the playing field is, I think it's becoming more even back in the day, the blue bloods, the powerhouses, like there was just no way that a 16 seed was going to upset the blue bloods. But now we're getting to a point where I think the tides in college basketball are starting to shift with the way things are going, and especially with the transfer portal being so open. A lot of these talented athletes are going to places really that just fit best for them. And because they can move around so freely, I think players are really finding spots. They're not trapped in teams where they're not getting playing time. And so you're seeing teams like FDU and, and others being able to play with the big dogs. And I think it's amazing, especially for the viewing experience for college basketball fans in general. 
because we've talked about it before throughout the year, like college basketball is not as fun to watch in as the NBA. Obviously the NBA is more spaced out. Obviously you have the best of the best in basketball playing. So why would you not recommend that? But for me, it's the atmosphere of college athletics that just makes it what it is. Obviously we know that better with college football. You have bigger, you know, crowds. And as Utah fans, we're right now, we're more used to success on the football field, but with basketball, like there's just something special about March. Like there's, there is magic in the air. So I'm excited to see what happens, but Richie, what were your predictions going into this tournament? Have they changed? And if they have, who are you predicting to go to the final four? Um, Final four predictions. I've been pretty consistent as I filled out multiple brackets, Houston, I think they have exactly what makes a championship team. First of all, they have experience. They've done this before. Um, they've gotten to the Elite Eight, Elite eight in back-to-back years, and it looks like they are poised to make another run. I was nervous about them entering the tournament because Marcus Sasser was injured, um, and he retweaked his groin uh, during the first game. However, he played the second game, looked great, looked fantastic. They blew out Auburn. Um, that was a very promising win if you do have Houston going far. I think that's the kind of win that is going to set them up. And then as they have kind of a couple of days of rest and are able to figure some things out, I think they are poised for a strong run. I also believe in Alabama and Alabama, they have exact, just like Houston, they have what makes a tournament team, what makes a tournament team go on a run, which I think is in my opinion, good defense and good guard play. And then they have Brandon Miller, a guy that's going to be the number two or number three pick who has played phenomenally who hasn't had a great tournament so far, but you can just feel it building up. There's going to be some burst of Brandon Miller going off, and it's going to be a pleasure to watch. So I have those two going far. I also believe in UCLA. I thought they were the best team in their bracket. I thought they would be Kansas um, and that they would come out just they have experience. They have really good players. I was nervous about Jalen Clark being injured, but Amari Bailey has filled that role so nicely. Um, We saw it a little bit in the Pac-12 tournament. He had a great Pac-12 tournament, averaged about 18 points a game. And then he has brought that back into March Madness. And I just feel like UCLA is, they have everything that you would want in a team that goes really far. Um, I'm curious to see if they would play Xavier or Texas, because I think that could be the game of the weekend. Um, And whoever wins that might, might be in a really good place to win the championship. But I think those are the three teams that I've been consistent about as being final four teams. I'm curious to see who comes out between Kansas state and Michigan state and whoever else is in that bracket. I'm kind of blanking Um, FAU and Tennessee. I think that could end up in some decent games, Um, but overall it's just like, it's the best weekend of the year, man. And I feel like as much as I appreciate the first weekend, I love the second weekend too, because I feel like the matchups get, a little bit more intense. I feel like the quality of play is a little higher, um, especially as you get to these teams that might be more well-rounded offensively um, versus teams that are just defensive dogs. I think um, it sets up for some really high quality basketball play. And so I'm really excited for this next weekend. Yeah. Now in the second weekend is when you start getting into the big arenas. And so crowds are huge. And like you said, the, the competition's closer and, Looking at this weekend, I think overall, I think we're not going to be seeing hardly any blowouts. Um, I don't think there's going to be really any. There's obviously going to be probably some double-digit wins, but I think all of these games are going to be really good. Um, the one I'm really looking at is the Kansas State-Michigan State game. Um, I, I'll i be honest. I thought Michigan State was going to make it to uh, the round of 32, but I thought Marquette was going to pull it off. I thought they had a good squad this year. 
but Michigan State just looked really good. And my championship pick was Kansas State. Uh, people call me crazy, but I liked what I saw. And I think there's something to be said about a team that's picked to finish uh, last in your conference and then to end up being a three seed in the tournament. Talk about a turnaround in terms of perception of how your team was looked at before the season. I know running needs fans usually looked at that, usually can uh, relate to that. But it's only like we only usually jump like maybe four spots ahead. Like, right, like this year, I think we were predicted to finish ninth or tenth. We ended up finishing seventh. Like, no, these guys are picked to finish last and ended up as a three seed in the tournament. And I just like their squad overall. Their guys have heart. I can't remember the name of their point guard that's like 5'10. But Marquise Noel. Yeah, Marquise Noel. Name stuck in the head. (laughs) Dude just went off. Um, in that second half. Um, and what an incredible game that they played against Kentucky. So I do have Kansas State going to the Final Four out of the East. Out of the South, I'm going to agree with you. I think Alabama has, in my opinion, I think been one of the two strongest teams so far in the tournament for obvious reasons. They just have loads of talent, and I think overall all their guys know their roles. But Creighton has seemed to be putting up good show. Like I don't know what Princeton's going to look like. Obviously, they look dominating in the first two rounds. Usually the second weekend is kind of where some flaws start to come back. Magic maybe dies a little bit, but who knows? Maybe the Tigers keep going further. But I've got Alabama coming out of the South. In the Midwest, this is where it's intriguing for me because I think both of the games in the Midwest bracket are going to be really close. That's the Houston-Miami game. That's the Xavier-Texas game. Uh, Texas has been spotty throughout the year. Obviously, they have the talent. Uh, Running News fans will know Timmy Allen. Um, But across the board, I feel like they've got height. They've lacked shooting. And that's kind of been their their drawback of they're not able to pull away. But Xavier saw a little bit of a scare in the first round and then kind of picked themselves back up in the second. So that one I'm going to be keeping my eye on. I, right now, I am picking Xavier to win. But who knows? Sean Miller, he always disappoints in March. Glad I wasn't an Arizona fan. Glad I'm not an Xavier fan. Houston, I do have them moving on to the Final Four. Like you mentioned, everything you said before, Um Worried about what was going to be going on with the man down, but they seem to be rolling right along. We had a few scares there, but that's March. And I think them being able to battle back from seeing some hardship and adversity, I like them as the one seed that makes it to the final four along with Bama. In the West, Arkansas-UConn, I think will be a good one. Uh, I had Arkansas actually winning the championship in my second bracket. So hopefully they can pull that one out because that would be great. I would love that. Um, Other than that, that one's kind of a toss-up for me because I think both of them have had strong performances. I don't know wh- really which team is going to show up, but out of this bracket, I have UCLA going far. Um, I, I, as you mentioned, I just think everyone across the board, you've mentioned it before, they know their role, but I am such a big fan of uh, Jaime Jaquez. I, I just think he has an elite talent about him, and we mentioned that's one of the things that the running needs are lacking is a go-to scorer when things get rough. And the moves he was able to put on in the post when they were needing a bucket, when they went through a drought, like he just knows what to do in certain moments. And when you've got a guy like Tiger Campbell running the floor, uh, I just like the Bruins to go far. So those are my picks for the final four, but who knows again, it's March. Maybe Princeton goes to the championship, dude. Maybe, maybe the Ivy league gets a March madness win, but that's not going to happen. If it does, (laughs) I'll do something crazy. I don't know. I'm not, I don't know. I can't come up with anything, but I'll do something crazy if they win. Um, <laughs> but excited to talk about that next, uh, next week as well, because then we'll start getting into final four talk, actually seeing who wins that championship. But as, as you mentioned, it's just such a beautiful time of the year. I don't think there's anything that beats it. So 
As always, in every episode, it's time to get jazzy. And this jazz segment is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. As we mentioned, the biggest tournament in college basketball is underway, and the action is just getting started on DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any pregame Moneyline bet and score $150 in bonus bets if your team wins. Plus, combine multiple bets for a shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings will be featuring parlays and odd boosts all tournament long, so be sure to check the DraftKings Sportsbook app every day to see what they have in store. Download, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code TBPN. Right now, new customers can bet $5 on any pregame Moneyline bet and get $150 in bonus bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So talking about the Jazz, there's a lot of talk, uh, a lot of back and forth on Twitter right now. I feel like most Jazz fans, at least on social media apps, are looking for war. And it seems like it's a polarizing <laughs> battle of team tank or team play-in. And they're making jokes that maybe Danny Ainge and company are frustrated that maybe their plans to purposely maybe lose these last few games or not have the roster that could win these games, but somehow without their top guys without Sexton and Clarkson and, you know, Markinen, for example, last night, the jazz just keep finding ways to, especially in these last two games, win against tough and top tier opponents. So Richie, what side of the argument on you are you on? And what have you thought about what the jazz have looked like these last few weeks? I am not on either side of the argument. I am in a happy middle ground right now. Um, I think the jazz are in an incredible place. And I'm going to put them in the same situation. I would put it Miami in after LeBron. Um, so Miami after LeBron, they had a couple years where D-Wade, Chris Bosh, they tried to get things rolling. Didn't work out too well. Eventually, they kind of just fizzled out of that era. Then they had a streak where they drafted Bam Adebayo, 13th. They drafted Tyler Hero, 13th. They got Jimmy Butler in free agency. And they made a finals run. They made a conference finals run. They've had some real success. And as good as those players are, I think the biggest underlying thing from their success is their coach, Eric Spolstra. I think Will Hardy is that caliber of coach, and that's why I think the Jazz are in a really good position for the future. The Jazz, since the trade line, are 8-7. and seven. In that time, they are the top shot-blocking team, largely because of Walker Kessler. They're also the top rebounding team in the NBA. Um and then they are pretty average with their offensive and defensive rating. Both are top 15, um, defensive rating 14th, offensive rating 11th. In that span, they've only had one loss out of those seven losses. That was more than 10 points. This team fights every single game. And I think that's awesome. I think that is providing very high quality um, experience, especially as you're going down the end of the season stretch because you're playing against teams that are fighting for bare life. Um, you're playing against these teams that are looking at their seeding that are going to try to position themselves for certain seeds. You're looking at teams that are trying to figure things out before they make a championship run, like the Boston Celtics this last weekend. So the teams that the jazz are playing aren't, they're not taking the jazz lightly. They're playing hard. They're trying to win these games, but the jazz come out, they play harder. And I think that speaks very loudly to the kind of coach that Will Hardy is. And because of that, I think the Jazz are in a really good position, whichever way they go, if they start losing games and think a little bit, or if they make a play-in spot and end up competing for a play-in or playoff spot, I think that would be very valuable experience. Either way, I think the Jazz are in a great position. 
I don't think you can be too mad about whichever way they go. Would it be nice to have a top 10 pick in this draft? Yeah, this is a great draft. Um, we're seeing some of those guys ball out in March Madness. Some of the guys that the draft, Jazz could potentially draft. And with a top 10 pick, you'd have a higher chance of moving potentially into the top four or even the number one pick. That being said, you're also getting these guys very valuable experience. And we're learning so much about this team. What are the chances that Ochai Agbaji turns out to be better than one of the top 10 guys in this next draft? And we're figuring that out because of this crucial stretch. What are the chances Walker Kessler is better than one of those guys? Uh, the guy that you would draft, hypothetically. What are the chances Laurie Markinen is? I think all the, the chance of those three guys being better than any of the guys we draft is pretty high. While I think some of those guys are really good players um, that are coming into the league. I just think the Jazz, the experience that they're getting right now is valuable. And they're positioning themselves in a really interesting play-in race where they're getting close game experience. They're learning how to play. Larry Markin is learning how to close games. Ochag Baji is learning how to create for himself. Walker Kessler is learning how to make crucial stops at the end of games. And the Jazz are just in a really good place. I think it's easy to focus on the on the draft and who the next guys are, who's going to be coming in. But it's also just important to focus on what's going on right now with the team, with the development of some of these guys. Heck, we've seen guys blossom, just absolutely blossom the, the last couple of weeks. Shout-outs to Chris Dunn, Simone Fontecchio, guys that have really figured out their niche in the NBA and could be rotational players as the Jazz make a playoff run. I think that's huge. And the Jazz, they still have three picks for this next year. And two of those picks are potentially lottery picks. To, or, or they could fall out just out of the lottery and the Jazz could end up swinging on somebody who has high upside but just might not be evaluated correctly right now. So I just I think the Jazz are in a really good position whichever way they go. And for those that are on Team Tank, for those that are on Team Make a Playoff Run, I just think let the season play out. Let these guys play the season out. They've deserved it. They've played so hard game after game. And Will Hardy deserves it. I think the coaching job he has done this year has just been phenomenal. And he deserves to determine his own destiny with this team. I 100% agree with you. So maybe we'll rename it Team Destiny after your final comments there. I, I just think, as you mentioned, we're putting a lot of stock into this upcoming draft, which granted this could very well be one of the greatest drafts of all time. But then again, it hasn't happened yet. And I think where the Jazz roster is at right now, the big talk of the town this entire season was, hey, marketing can be a number two guy on a really good team, on a finals contending team. We need the number one guy. I don't think the Jazz's best route is to get the number one guy in this upcoming draft. I think the best route is to find free agency, find guys that are veterans in the league to bring veteran presence back. Because listen, the only veteran on the team right now is Kelly Olenek. Granted, almost dude almost dropped a triple-double last night. Still waiting for the Jazz to get one since uh, 2008, besides Ricky Rubio in the playoffs. But I think it has to come from veteran experience to grab that number one guy, to grab your shot maker, to grab your, your guard position. Besides that, as you mentioned, getting these young guys this needed experience, I think is the most crucial point, the most crucial thing that the Jazz have to do towards the end of the season. The fact that the Jazz have these guys and are paying them the amount of money that they are, I don't see how any Jazz fan can be mad about that. You have, as you mentioned, Ochai Baji, who um, 
throughout the season was able to show flashes. And I feel like now in these last few games, he's been able to prove, hey, I'm not only a catch and shoot type of guy, but as you mentioned, I can create my own shot, especially in clutch moments. And we also know that, hey, he's good outside on the perimeter. He was able to show us he can drive to the basket. He's got length. He's got a good body build. Walker Custer, we've mentioned multiple times, but the fact that he's already one of the most clutch defenders in the league as a rookie, like, I don't know if anyone understands how difficult that is. And I saw on Twitter that a fan was like, well, it's good that he can do it against Sabonis, but he's not doing it against Jokic or Embiid. It's like, sure, maybe Jokic and Embiid have more success against Kessler, but Kessler's still able to defend himself pretty well against the best of the best down low. And the fact that you have a guy prioritizing his defense in today's type of basketball, like you have to value that. And the fact that Walker also has the potential to increase his offensive production in the coming years is exactly what Jazz fans would want. Because as a lot of fans have been mentioning, this is like a Rudy Gobert 2.0, but now has an offensive game. He's more mobile. He can catch it better. He grips the ball better down low. And so I don't know why anyone would be disappointed in having him be that guy moving forward, as you mentioned, rather than looking to the draft. Obviously, we know about Laurie Markkinen. Don't need to say any, don't need to say anything more about him. But as you mentioned, you look at the teams that have had long term success, no matter the roster. It, it all goes back to the coaching staff. And I think another one that you could be you could mention is Steve Kerr with this Warriors dynasty. You had the you've had the key pieces stay along, obviously with Steph, Clay, Draymond. But as you've moved forward, even look at last year's roster. Very different than what they look like in 2015. But Steve Kerr is the type of coach that knows how to control egos, knows how to manage a squad. And so the Warriors are consistently able to just find themselves back in the playoff, no matter if we think it's a down year or if it's a really good year for them. And so the fact that they've also had been able to have long-term success, I think it also goes back to that coaching staff. And you also have to look at a lot of his assistants that he's had are now head coaches in the league. Not to mention Mike Brown now, who's leading, who's going to lead the Kings in his first season as head coach to their first playoff since the 2005-2006 season. So I don't think it's a conversation as much on the players, as you mentioned, as it is going back to the coaching staff because players have vocally come out and said that Will Hardy just has that it factor. And um, I was watching a little segment with Juan Toscano-Anderson and he just mentioned like, Will Hardy, I trust him immediately from the get-go. As soon as I came in here, he's one of those coaches where as a player, he just felt real to me and I could trust him. And I think it's that type of coach that can really get you far in the league. Um, Steve Kerr mentioned it before. Like, basically, your job is to control these players' egos, make them feel good, obviously drop a few players along the way. But it's basically it's basically just managing. Um, and it's micromanaging. And I think Will Hardy does a really good job of that. And he's so good at getting his guys passionate about getting into the game. And you've obviously seen clips throughout the year of him in huddles. He has high IQ. We've heard that from Greg Popovich. Like, Will Hardy has done a phenomenal job, and he's not going to win coach of the year by any means this year. But really good season for him with his first year at the helm. The fact that only, I believe at this point in the season, only Jerry Sloan has had more wins as Utah Jazz coach at this point in their career than Will Hardy. I think at this point, Sloan had 44. Um, and that's just, that something has to be said about that. And so I'm excited to see what this Jazz team looks like. Now, granted, the big conversation is that the Jazz have a really tough schedule up ahead. Um, a lot of tough games. These are almost all these opponents are fighting for a playoff spot. So, Richie, what are your thoughts going into these final 10, 11 games? And what do you think the Jazz will do 
in this final stretch of the season. Yeah, it's a brutal end of the season. Um, 538 currently has the Jazz finishing four and seven in their last 11 games. So that would put the Jazz at a record of 39 and 43, which would have them out just out of the play-in and the ninth best lottery odds. So looking ahead, you have Portland. Portland is a mess right now. Damian Lillard is awesome. He is an incredible athlete, incredible basketball player, incredible person, but Portland is awful. And they are tanking pretty obviously. Like they just they just do not have what it takes right now to win games. So I think that one could be a jazz win. However, as of right now, Jordan Clarkson is listed as out. Laurie Markin is questionable. Colin Sexton is out. Um, the Jazz are going to be running with the squad they ran last night. So it's possible Damian Lillard erupts for another 60, like the last time we saw Portland. Um, moving after that is when it gets really interesting. You play Milwaukee. Milwaukee is top of the top right now. They're the best team in the NBA. They're fantastic. Um, and I think they're going to bring it to the Jazz. Then you play Sacramento in a rematch. I think that one could go a lot differently than we saw the other night. Sacramento obviously has their defensive issues, which I think the Jazz did a really good job of exposing last night. Um, But they are an elite offensive team. And even though the Jazz were up by like 25 at some point, Sacramento came back, made it a close game. They were even winning at at one point in that game. I think Sacramento wins that game. Um, Going a little further, you got Phoenix. Phoenix, great. Uh, Probably no Kevin Durant. Then you got San Antonio. That's probably going to be a Jazz win. Um, Then you go Boston, Brooklyn. Lakers, Thunder, Denver, Lakers. So those are all prospective playoff teams, all um, firmly in the playoffs or in a play-in spot like the Lakers. Those two Lakers games are going to be huge because both the Jazz and the Lakers, at least from the perspective of the players, are going to be hunting for a playoff spot. And I think the Lakers have a lot more pressure than the Jazz do. You know, the Jazz expectations are not high this year. We predict predicted to win like 20 games. Um, the Lakers have LeBron James, who has been one of the best players in basketball for the last couple of years, if not the best. And they have very high expectations, especially with the roster moves they made at the deadline. So I think those two games are going to be really crucial, as well as the OKC game. OKC is firmly in that spot, too. They're in a play-in spot. They have things going right now. I cannot believe their core of Shea Gilgis, Alexander, Josh Giddy, Jalen Williams, and then they're going to add Chet Holmgren and possibly another lottery pick to that next year. With the shooting they have, with Lou Dort, with all these pieces, they are going to be good. They have made a race in the at the play-in, and I think that's really smart for their organization in the long term because of the playoff experience that those guys could pen- potentially get. Um, so it's going to be a brutal stretch to end for Utah. Um, you're playing top top of the league teams you're playing the three top teams in Denver, Boston, Milwaukee. You're playing teams that are competitive, right? That are competing with you right now for the playing spots. And then you're playing like Sacramento and, and San Antonio, who are just kind of in different spots than those other teams. But I just, it could be a really brutal stretch for the Jazz. However, we have seen that this team can beat anybody on any given night, and they're going to take it game by game. And you know they're going to play harder than the other team in most of these games. They're going to come out with a game plan. Will Hardy is going to will these guys to victory if these guys are just able to execute the game plan. It's going to be a really, really fun stretch because the Jazz are looking at a playoff spot. You know the players want to get into the playoffs. And it that would not be the worst thing in the world to get into the playoffs on year one of your rebuild 
where you're just trying to figure out personnel and you've traded guys at the deadline. You've tried to become a worse team and you're still making the playoffs. What does that say about your team if you actually start trying to win and if you make some winning moves with your roster? I just, I think the Jazz are in an incredible position and this end of the season stretch is going to be miraculously fun to watch. We're, we're, buckle your seatbelts, buckle up, Bowler. It's going to be great. First off, your interactions with Craig on Twitter, those those are just phenomenal. I love that guy. <laughs> um, so indeed, buckle up, guys. This is going to be good. But yeah, I, I like your diagnosis of what's going to be going on in these last few games. And when I was looking at the schedule earlier today, I am pretty sure that if these last few games go as I think they're going to go, that game in Crypto Arena, the final regular season game of the year, could very well be a nationally televised game, something that a lot of people are going to be looking at because the Lakers have a pretty, like, it's not as hard as the Jazz, but they've got a pretty tough schedule as well. They're playing the Suns. They're playing the Clippers. I believe they play the Rockets. Like, they've got a few gimmies, but they play the Thunder as well. Like, they're playing teams that are going to be fighting as well. And so it'll be interesting to see how this Jazz team shows up because I know the players really want to compete um, I was able to listen to a really good podcast episode on Draymond Green's show where Lori Markkinen came on and Lori is really wants to be competitive. He really wants the jazz to get to a playoff spot. And I don't disagree with him. I don't know why as a player, you'd be happy tanking um, in the slightest, but Lori says he believes in the front office and he believes that his guys can do it. They can get to the playoff. And as you mentioned, the jazz in their first year of a rebuild could go to the playoffs and looking at the stats, I think the Jazz have been the most cons- one of the most consistently good teams in the NBA throughout their entire history. There's been very few seasons where I believe they've I think there's had they've only had two seasons where they've had more than 39 losses. And the fact that the Jazz have been able to consistently win in the regular season, obviously as Jazz fans we know it doesn't really go well in the playoffs, at least as of recently. But in the regular season, the fact that we've had this consistent winning basketball. Like, don't take that for granted. I mean, look at Houston right now. They've had a plan so far to just keep getting lottery picks every year. But now you have a roster filled with 19-year-olds, and it's even even bigger ego checks, and it just seems like Houston's kind of taken a a train that's going to lead them to nowhere. But for the Jazz, like, you have so much valuable experience coming up. And I think with a schedule like this, and again, if Clarkson's not able to come back with his dislocated finger injury, um, with if Sexton, if his hamstring's still bothering him, like these young guys have the opportunity to go up against the best of the best and they can prove they can do it. They showed it to us against the Kings on Monday. The fact that they put up, I believe, one of the best quarters I've seen by a jazz team, and it was the tank squad, the quote unquote tank squad. Like these guys can do it. They have flashes. Do I think they're gonna do it all four quarters for these last 11 games? Absolutely not. But I think they can put up a good fight against a lot of these guys. Um I in my personal opinion, I think they're probably going to be putting up close to a 500 record. Uh, I think a, a big, like a, the stretch where I don't think they're going to win games is on that mini three-game road trip. I don't think they're going to beat the Celtics or the Nets. I just feel like whenever the Jazz go east, I don't feel comfortable, I, especially up like northeast. I just never feel like the Jazz can win up there. But I'm really excited to see what those last three home games look like. That last three home game stand where you have the Lakers welcoming back Beasley and Vanderbilt and company. We'll see how LeBron is maybe looking up down the stretch. Cause that's the other big thing. Like if, 
if they're still trying to see if they can, if they need to win these games to get into like a play-in spot, like you could bet your bottom dollar LeBron's going to be coming back, even if it is on one foot or whatever. And a lot of people are going to be watching that game. And I think this is finally where the Jazz can maybe show like, wow, this is the tanking Jazz team and they're competing with these guys. Hey, like maybe something happens. And I think like moments like this, and if they get into a playoff spot, then the free agents can say, hey, maybe I want to go to Utah next year. Maybe I can be their number one guy. I, I yeah. don't know. What, I don't know what you think about that. Uh, name name to keep an eye on, Jalen Brown. He's come out on podcast. Everybody, every athlete right now has their podcast or whatever they're appearing on podcasts. And Jalen Brown has expe- expressed some um, distaste with Boston fans. And I mean, he had a really good relationship with Will Hardy, from what I understand, as well as a great relationship with Danny Ainge, the guy that drafted him earlier than people thought Jalen Brown was going to get drafted with that number three pick. So that might be something to keep an eye on. Um, We'll see if that comes in the form of free agency or if that comes in the form of a trade, but that's just a name I would keep an eye on. Um, Also just another note. I, I really do think the jazz could get a nationally scheduled game. I'm looking at the TV schedule for those last, for that last game. Nothing's on national TV. It's a it's a Sunday game, so that would usually be NBA TV, I believe, or maybe ESPN. Um, and they don't have anything, so I wonder if that is like something they do by ear, kind of. I I don't know. Like the last two days, they don't have any scheduled games on national TV. Um, but then you look at days before that, it's TNT, ESPN, NBA TV. So maybe something to keep an eye on. Jazz could get their one nationally televised game of the year, and it could be the last game. So that'd be pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, this end of season stretch is going to be very interesting. Yeah. I think overall, there's going to be a ton of storylines to keep our eyes on, but nationally televised game for this jazz squad. We're going to keep you updated there. Cause I think everyone would love to see how this jazz team looks. Obviously, I believe the last time we finished our regular season in LA, was that Kobe's final game is that the last time we finished if, in LA I know we finished that season with that game uh I don't know if there's been one like that since like an ending end of season stretch because I'm not sure maybe that's just me but I got a little PTSD after that game where Kobe puts up like 80 shots against us and we kind of just let him obviously we weren't going to the playoffs so it wasn't really a big deal but I don't <laughs> know man maybe LeBron's in for uh, an awakening a Kobe-like awakening in that final game but we'll keep you updated um no Utah football news, really, except for spring ball started today. I think that's exciting. Yeah, I think the the big thing to keep your eye on is the battle for QB2. Um, I, that's actually a thing going on, at least with uh, the other in-state school, BYU as well. I think it's a QB2 battle down there. And I know the hype is really about like who's going to be the starting quarterback, but I think it's nice that you already know who your starter is going to be going into the regular season. And... You just really want to figure out who that backup guy can be. And I feel like especially that was exposed in the Rose Bowl um, was that as great as Bryson Barnes has shown to be in moments, he can't I, I don't believe he can be that guy to if rising potentially does go down or if rising is not able to go on that Thursday kickoff against Florida, if he can be able to beat a team like that. And you have these young guys where after rising leaves this year, it's I believe it's in their hands. And so the battle between Rose and uh, Nate Johnson is going to be something to keep your eye out on. And supposedly 
Brandon Rose threw an absolute dime of a touchdown today uh, to Devon Vele, the corner of the end zone that a lot of the reporters were talking about. So I know we were talking a lot about Nate Johnson earlier, but maybe Brandon Rose comes out. So Richie, what are the storylines or maybe players you're looking out for in spring ball? Um, I thought it was interesting that Kobe Boykins decommitted today or was he already on the team? I, I'm not sure if he was with the team yet. Um, he was a, he was a 2023 commit. I don't think okay. he was with the team yet. I think he was planning on going on this, you know, in the summer or whatever. So I don't think I he just, was with him yet. I think I think the timing of that is really interesting. Um, he was a projected corner, and I wonder if that says something about our corner room. Um, some of the stuff I've seen is they're really confident in our safeties. You are bringing Cole Bishop, uh, Sione Vaki, if, if I'm saying that correctly, and then Nate Ritchie back from his mission. Um, so I think that is going to be a storyline. It sounds like they're interested in adding a little more depth to this team from the transfer portal. So I would also keep an eye on that. That is a statement that Kyle Whittingham said made today. Um, and also Mikey Matthews, that was one of the big stories of today. Uh, they say he's kind of like Britton Covey. Um, obviously they're not, he said Whittingham went out of his way to say that they're not the same caliber of player quite yet but Mikey Matthews has a lot of those flashes that Brayden Covey showed at the beginning. So that could be a, a great addition. Um, it sounds like he's a curious guy. He's asking Devon Vele lots of questions. That's the kind of guy that you want. Um, that's the kind of guy that's going to make some strides pretty quickly. So that's exciting. I just think I'm excited to watch some spring ball when we get that full red on white game. There's nothing like football. And especially even if it is a spring game, I'll take what I can get. But I really liked what you mentioned. And I think, especially with the topic of Mikey Matthews, he was pictured a few times going to the basketball games with Rising and Keithy, Kincaid, Yasmin. Like, if you've got one of the young guys hanging out with the veterans, I think that says a lot about this this guy early on, that the fact that these guys are, he's hanging out with the captains of this squad as a freshman. And so I'm excited to see what he can really show some flashes. Maybe we get a new punt returner. Yeah. Hey, hey, are we are we gonna call him Eminem? Is that is that gonna be the nickname? Richie, you tweet it during the season when he <laughs> makes a play, and then I'll retweet it and we get it going. Okay, we'll we'll get it going. Okay. Um, so we're excited to keep talking about Utah football. And I think obviously since today was the first day, we don't have a lot to go off of, but probably next week and moving on the few weeks after, we'll probably have a lot more to talk about, especially with the quarterback battle. And then after that red white game, I think we'll really kind of we can dive deeper into the QB two competition but running Utes basketball season's over um really sad i i think it is an improvement in season two they end with a record of 17 and 15 you get six more wins than you did the year before but they had a really good start and an absolutely terrible finish you could attribute that to the injuries on the roster the lack of talent on the roster in terms of shooting but they don't get a bid to the nit season's over and now we've seen Jackson Brenchley, Boston Holt, and Mike Saunders going to the transfer portal. And I don't think like any of those really surprised us, um, especially when I think this offseason is kind of the moment where I think Craig Smith is really telling these guys at the bottom of the bench, hey, we really got to bring in some talent. Thank you for your contribution to the program. But I think this is a time where Utah really has to pack it in. And I think they have a good core. They've got some good guys that you can bring back. For me, I think it's got to be your starting wing player. 
um, or your starting power forward. Ben Carlson played great. He can definitely be a starter. He had great moments of getting good boards and stuff like that. Obviously, his lack is in shooting. And Marco Anthony, really job at playing defense, getting boards, really hard time, especially shooting with the perimeter. Great at the mid-range. He was like the DeMar DeRozan of the mid-range. But it was that that high-volume scoring that we were lacking. And I think that's something that the that the running youths really have to be looking for. But Richie, what were your thoughts on the end of the running youth season and maybe on these transfers, these guys leaving, and maybe who you think could be a good fit moving forward? Um, that Stanford game in the tournament was frustrating because I felt like I was rewatching the Stanford game from earlier in the season when Utah lost at the Huntsman Center. It was just the same story. Spencer Jones was hitting lots of threes. They were getting to the basket. Utah was just struggling on offense. You only had Carlson and Madsen really doing anything. Um, and it was just a really sour note to end the season on. Uh, however, this program, I just, I still have confidence. I believe in Craig Smith. And one of the things that is already sticking out that I think is going to be a change from previous seasons is the activity in the transfer portal. So you obviously had three guys going out, including, uh, and one other guy that was a walk-on, um, Hunter Meekum. So you have Saunders leaving, you have Brenchley leaving, you have Boston Holt leaving. So you're currently opening up four scholarship spots. Looking at their projected depth chart for next year, this is if nobody else leaves. I think I, I, I'm still waiting to like hear some solid confirmation about Brandon Carlson's situation. I think most likely he returns. I feel like it would make sense for him. Um, and if the team is able to get some solid transfers and it would absolutely make sense and they could potentially make a tournament run before Carlson ends his NCAA career. Um, but looking at that depth chart, like I mentioned, yeah, Brandon Carlson, he's your fourth year senior. Then juniors, you have Raleigh Wooster, Lazar Stefanovich, Hunter Erickson, who has had a really good year for Salt Lake Community College. He will be on scholarship next year and he'll come in, hopefully play some good guard minutes for the Utes. Then you have Gabe Madsen, Ben Carlson. So those are your juniors. Then your sophomores, you got Will Exact, Luca Tarlach, and Kay Bakeda. So you have four open spots, and I think that's where it gets really important. Like you mentioned, that power forward position I think is crucial. Utah needs a power forward that can score, uh, somebody that can maybe put his back to the basket or can stretch the floor. I don't think he necessarily needs to be both of those things, but if he's a guy that can score a little bit, that can create for himself possibly, that's going to change where this team can go. Um, as much as I've liked Ben Carlson at times during the season, he has his limitations. And there are a lot of games where he put, puts up zero points or zero shots. And I love Marco Anthony, but Marco Anthony's offensive game was pretty one-dimensional. Um, just the DeMar, DeMar DeRozan mid-range shot every single time. And it, it was great. It worked great. Uh, and the occasional dunk. But you just you need a little bit more versati- vers- versatility than that. Um Projecting next year's starters, you probably have Carlson at the five, Wooster at the one, and then one of Matson or Stefanovic at the two. I think one starts, the other comes off the bench, and that's fine. That's great. Um, I think Utah needs to look for another playmaker with size. Um, from what I understand, Utah has reached out to about eight players in the transfer portal. Some of them are bigger guards, like six six to six eight guards, um, guys that are able to score, create for themselves, pass. They are they are reaching out to the right guys, in my opinion. Um, the guys from lower division schools, uh, low major schools that could make that jump up to a Pac-12 program and potentially have really good years next year. 
I think Utah is being very active in that sense. And that's one of the reasons I'm really optimistic going into next season, because in the past, we haven't necessarily seen that activity. Uh, We haven't seen an urgency to get guys in the portal and to get the really good guys, to get the guys that are on the top of every list. Um, I think Utah is going to need to be very, very aggressive in the transfer portal. Um, One other concern I have that I'll just bring up and maybe just something to keep an eye on. Utah currently has no freshmen coming into next year. And while that's not necessarily the most important thing, it is nice to have continuity as you build your program. And when you get them in as freshmen, I think that's big because they're able to play hopefully for four years. Um, They're able to create that continuity, develop as players, develop as people. Um, I think that's something that is really good just for your program in the long run. And Utah, unfortunately, has not made any offers. However, I will say that they are... They have expressed interest in one. His name is Sultan Adewale. Um, 18 other schools have shown interest in him or offered him scholarships. I would be curious to see if a scholarship is offered to him or if Utah just exclusively goes through the transfer portal. Um, whatever whatever route, I just think these guys you're going to have to hit on. Uh, the guys last year, some of them contributed. You brought in some freshmen that played good minutes. Will exact and Kebakeda proud of them um i think they did exactly what you needed them to do they defended hard they played hard but they're both still projects at the end of the day um whereas i think the guys you bring in this year are going to need to be instant contributors uh ben carlson didn't do enough mike saunders was do not did not play for most games um hunter erickson sat out obviously because he was playing with slick and some eligibility stuff then you just had other guys that just frankly, didn't contribute all that much. So Utah is really going to have to hit on their portals. They're going to have to get guys that can contribute, and it could define Craig Smith's tenure. I don't want to be too dramatic, but it really could define his tenure because Utah is a team that has been to the Sweet 16 15 times in program history, which is among like the top 10 in all of NCAA. We're a historically great basketball school, and I do think there is pressure to win and to get back to the tournament. Um, that has to be top priority. Obviously, that is top priority for these guys. I'm not going to tell them that's something they already know. Um, but I do think that is the state of the situation. They are going to need to start winning, and this season was the step in the right direction, but it's going to have to be to that next level next year. Yeah, the the two sports that bring in the most cash is football and men's basketball, and Football has obviously seen a dramatic increase in revenue, and that's great. And obviously, that's the big money getter for the athletic department. But as you mentioned, this men's basketball program is historic. And Utah is ranked highly in the amount of tournament appearances, Sweet 16 appearances. And they haven't been a powerhouse for most of the last 20 years. And the fact that they're still that high up on these lists prove that this was once a very dominating program um, in all facets. And for a consistent amount of years, no matter who came in as a head coach, Utah can get back to that. And I believe Craig Smith can be a coach that can bring this, this program back. And that's the reason why he took the job was because it's a historic program. It used to be, could be like the Indianas, like the Dukes, the North Carolinas, but it has slipped away so quickly. And As you mentioned, I think this is a year where we have to judge what Craig can do, especially in the recruiting cycle, what he can do with guys in the transfer portal. 
I really, I agree hundred percent with everything you mentioned. And I think that's exactly what the running needs have to do. And I, as you, as we both mentioned, I think it really comes down to that power forward position. And I think all the, these guys across um, the roster that Utah currently has right now can be key spots in either a starter position or as a bench unit. And I feel like that's where Utah really struggled was when you're bringing in the the second rotation guys, I felt like there was a drop-off point. And successful teams, no matter who you bring in, they're, you're, sta- you're still able to defend, you're still able to score. You did mention the trouble with not having freshmen coming in this recruiting class. That is something to point out. But I really did like the freshman class that we had last year. As you mentioned, they're projects. They're not finished, but we saw flashes of what they can become. And I, if they stay with the program, I really like their development. I think Kebakeda can be a phenomenal defender. And he's got a shot that if he can continue to develop a little bit of that hook that he got or the floaters that he has, like he can be a force down low. And obviously, once Carlson leaves, he'll, if he stays, he can walk right into the starting uh, center position. And I think he could be a force to be reckoned with. Um, Wilgins, uh, exact ju- or yeah, Wilgins exact junior. I always get his name mixed up because <laughs> I always want to say Wilgins junior, ex- Wilgins junior exact, but whatever. Maybe is that it? it How am I forgetting I'm, this? I'm not sure, man. Dude, don't call me a fan, <laughs> whatever. But I, he has a really good body build. Um, I, I think I like how he, his presence is on the floor. And as we mentioned, he had flashes of really good offensive prowess, knowing how to shoot, knowing when to drive to the basket, um, had good defense at times. But once again, he's a project. And so I think if you're able to develop those two guys specifically and then bring in, I believe, one at least, you have to bring in one veteran guy who can score and then, a, at least another two key players who can contribute right in their first year with the program. If you can bring in those three types of guys, I think Utah can go and go back to March Madness. And for me, at least, I think that's my expectation is Utah just has to get to March Madness. I don't care if it's an 11 seed. I don't care if it's a, you know, a 15 seed. Um, But most of the time, those 16, 15 seeds are for conference champions from uh, lower programs. But if Utah can just make the tourney, then they can do well. And I think it comes down to three things. You have to beat the Blue Bloods in your conference. Uh, Utah was able to do that against Arizona, and that's really what kind of kept their resume up there as they were trying to fight for a spot in. I think you got to beat the Blue Bloods at least once um, each each time. I know you don't play every team twice, but if you do play Arizona or UCLA, and now maybe we're talking about ASU and those guys, if you're playing them twice, you got to beat them once. And so I think protecting your home court, especially in this upcoming season, is going to be important. Um, and number two, it's the Pac-12 tournament. That thing has been the grim reaper for Utah basketball, no matter if they've been good or if they've been bad. And we saw with Washington state and with Colorado, you get one or two wins in the tournament. Then the NIT will at least consider you and put you in their, in their bracket. And March madness looked at ASU. They made a little bit of a run there at the end of the season. Boom. They're in the tournament and they made a good run going to the round of 32, almost to the sweet 16. Those two things have to be key for Utah next year. And I think no matter if Utah ha- goes into the Pac-12 tournament as a top four seed or if they go in as a mid-tier team, like you have to win at least your first two games, in my opinion. You have to get two wins there. If you don't, then both of the NIT and the NCAA uh, and March Madness will pretty much just look over your resume because they want the teams that are hot at that moment because that will give them the best games. So those are my two keys going into next season. Richie, you have any last thoughts or keys for the running youths? Um, I, I just reemphasize everything you said. I think that was really spot on. 
Um, yeah, I mean, the portal is going to be so huge. And uh, who knows when we'll start hearing news about um, if Utah's made any offers, if they're getting any of these guys. Um, I think it's all just going to be very, very important for this program. And I'm, like I said, I'm excited about the general urgency, the aggressiveness early on. I think that's a good sign. Just looking back at the season, Utah was really close, man. Like, if they ended that five-game stretch better, if they would have gotten a win against maybe TCU or Mississippi State earlier in the season, both of which would have been wins against teams that were in the NCAA tournament this year, then that changes your trajectory completely. Uh, Obviously, the Pac-12 tournament was such a poor showing, and things could have been different if they had a better showing in the Pac-12 tournament. I think the Stanford matchup was just horrible for the Utes. Um, But, I mean, we can play the what-ifs game. At the end of the day, I just think you're going to have to make a lot of improvements from this season to next. And you made improvements from your first season with this head coach to the second season. So there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. I would keep a close eye if I were a Utah fan on this team. I think next year could be a really exciting year. Um, Heck, even on a down year, the Pac-12 got four teams into the tournament. I think that bodes well for Utah and for their future. Um, I don't think I have any other thoughts. Perfectly said. I love it. Final thoughts. Amazing as always. Now we're going into the draft segment. As Richie said, we're going to be talking about top March Madness moments. I know everyone has their personal favorites. We're going to be sharing ours in this draft. Richie, let me look. Who drafted first last time? Man, it's been a minute. I can't even remember. We did We did um, movie franchises. I picked Harry I Potter bit... first. So yeah. maybe... I think it, I think I'm think I'm picking first this week. Okay, then take us away. Pick first. All right, with my first pick, March Madness moments. Um, I don't have any like criteria here. I'm just thinking of which ones are like my personal favorites, which I think are the coolest, the most historic. This one I think transcends basketball just because of the player who did it. Um, I mean it transcends March Madness because of the player who did it. And obviously his impact on basketball, his impact on the world. I'm taking MJ's shot for North Carolina in his first tournament. It's just an iconic moment. Um, everybody knew who MJ was after that. Uh, obviously, obviously the, the next year when he was playing for North Carolina didn't go quite as well. But that year was just like you knew the kid was going to be special. Six rings later, 6-0, and oh, he is probably the goat or one a or one B. So I'm taking that moment. Number one. That's a good pick. Um, I'm also going to go with a shot uh, that can be remembered. And that's Jenkins for the championship for Villanova against North Carolina a few years back. That was such a phenomenal ending to a college basketball game. And the fact that right after it goes through the nets, you've got cannons going off confetti flying everywhere. Like, that was the most adrenaline rush I think I've ever had watching a March Madness moment. So I'm going to go with that one as my as my number one. That iconic moment. That's so up there for me. Um, my number two, I'm going to people, – people might hate this. I know people hate this player and that team. I'm taking the Christian Leitner shot. Um, he had his big shot. Grant Hill assisted. They won the tournament that year. 
I just feel like that's a very iconic March Madness moment, and Duke fans praise that moment. They praise that man. He was the most hated man in college basketball for a couple of years, really lived up to the term of the Duke douchebag, but honestly, iconic March Madness moment, so I'm taking that one number two. There's no better ESPN 30 for 30 than I hate Christian Leitner. Um, I think that's a that's a commercial that or trailer that runs through my head constantly back in the day. So shout out to Christian Lehner. Um, okay, my number two, it's going to be a missed shot, but one that everyone keeps talking about today as one of the greatest March Madness what-if moments. Gordon Hayward's missed half-court buzzer beater miss in the championship game. Um, so close to going in. Could have changed the trajectory of his career. Maybe he doesn't even end up with the Utah Jazz because he makes that shot, jumps up in the rankings for the draft. Who knows? But that's got to be my number two right there is a miss. I never thought I'd say that, but a miss. That's going to be my number two. Could you have imagined if that went in? That would have been the greatest buzzer beater of all time. Yeah, 100%. I don't think there's anything that would have beaten that. Yeah. And yeah, great pick. So that's, great why I think pick. A, that's why I think a what if. Like, it just has to be up there because, you know, what if. Oh, it's an iconic March Madness moment. Like, that's a shot that they show every time they're showing a March Madness trailer. So that's true. I love that's it. true. Um, my third pick, I am taking it because it was just an incredible run that went from about end of the se- end of the regular season through this guy's conference tournament all the way to the championship team, a UConn team that wasn't expected to do anything that had a really crappy regular season led by cardiac Kemba gave him the name, earned him an NBA spot, gave him an NBA career. He played great for a couple of years in Charlotte, Boston, I'm taking that run where they went to the championship. They won it all. That was just an insane March Madness run. They weren't supposed to be there. They weren't supposed to be that team. It's the ultimate March Madness story. Just a team that upsets at every and exceeds expectations at every level. Yeah, that's that's the that's the dream right there. And Kemba Walker lived it. Um, okay, this is where it starts to get a little bit tough for me. But I'm going to go with another moment that I witnessed firsthand. 2016. Texas A&M's comeback against uh, UNI first round. I believe they were down like like 14 or like 15 points with like a minute to go. And they were literally just stealing every inbounds pass, making the plays, come back and win it last second. Um, so that's going to be my number three. That was a moment I remember I was watching in class. Um, it was sophomore year watching it in my math class. My mind was getting blown away, not by what was being taught, but what I was witnessing on my iPhone. So I'm going to go with that one as my number three. <laughs> I love it. Um, my number four, I'm going to be taking Steph Curry's little little run. Kid playing for Davidson. It's your classic tournament story. Mid-major team, making noise, beating teams, upsetting. Put Steph Curry on the map. I mean, people knew him because of his father, but you were really able to understand he wasn't just a shooter. He was an all-around player. He was going to be grid. Ended up getting him drafted number six, which was still too low, uh, still too high. I mean, he should have been drafted number one or number two. Um, so um, I'm taking that Steph Curry, that just an incredible tournament run. Dude put Davidson on the map, and I don't think there's nothing better than seeing like a twig Steph Curry in those baggy <laughs> Davidson jerseys where he just gets it, lost. It, in it really, it really is iconic to watch, and just like the pure stroke, but doing it in like such a nasty jersey. 
it's awesome. Dude, that was the that was a, such a fun era of basketball is when they were just playing in basically sweats. Awesome. <laughs> um, okay, my fourth one. This might be a, a a hated man once again by most of the people listening to this podcast, but Jimmer Fredette um, had an amazing run, and I think that's another one of the greatest what ifs in college basketball is what if that team in 2011 had Brandon Davies in March Madness because they would have been a a really good pick to go all the way. And the fact that Jimmer absolutely destroyed Gonzaga, almost put up 40 against them. And then that Florida game right after, even though they lost in the sweet 16 was basically taking on Florida by himself. And there's the iconic moment of him basically just pulling up from like five feet in front of the half court line as Gus Johnson just absolutely loses his mind. And Jimmer Fredette is just mugged out, like not even showing any emotion after you just, that's probably one of the purest shots I've ever seen in basketball. Jimmer mania, even as a Utah fan, frustrating, but man, it's fun to look back and watch that guy play some basketball. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with those moments with Jimmer at the four. I I wish this pains me to say it in my heart. This goes against everything I believe in. I wish that BYU team went a little bit further in the tournament, made a little bit more noise. They, 100%. I mean, obviously they were great, exceeded expectations, but Jimmer Mania just deserved to live that much longer. Yeah. Um. Anyways, with my fifth pick, I'm going to give a quick on, honorable mention to Jalen Suggs buzzer beater just a couple of years ago against UCLA in the final four from half court. Really incredible shot would probably be on my list if it were in the championship game, but still highest of high stakes. Um, incredible shot uh, and set up Jalen Suggs for a good NBA career, hopefully. Um, but my fifth pick I'm going to be taking I, – I love NBA history, so unfortunately all of these tie into NBA history except for the Leitner shot. But my fifth pick I'm going to be taking Magic versus Larry in the John M. Huntsman Center on the hill. Uh, incredible game. You had the number one and two guys going. The guys that – were pitted at each other for the rest of their careers. It was such a good way to start an epic character arc between the two. Um, and hey, little little bias. It was at the John M. Huntsman Center. That's what's amazing is that is one of the greatest basketball games in college basketball history, if not the greatest. And it all happened in Utah. That's so fun to think about. Um, so this isn't a top five. I don't think statistically, like no one's going to agree with this, but I'm going to go, I'm going to pull a little bit of a Homer move here. I'm going to, I'm going to do a Utah moment. Uh, honorable mention for me was obviously the, the 2015 run to the sweet 16 with a team that I think everyone just loved Utes fans loved. And they put up a dog fight against the eventual champion Duke in the sweet 16 back and forth. A lot of me wants to go back and wish that the ref didn't call foul on DeLon Wright um, as he's <laughs> fighting for a jump ball. That's one of the most hated moments for me as a running Utes fan. Um, but honorable mention to those guys. But obviously with the fifth pick, I'm going with the 1998 run to the championship. Um, that Utah team is a reason why I'm mad at God that I wasn't born maybe 10 years earlier so I could witness that. <laughs> I know it's disappointing um, to watch the Kentucky game when Utah had a really good lead at halftime in the championship and absolutely blew it. Great for Kentucky fans, terrible for us. That's why I always hate Kentucky. But they did absolutely dismantled Arizona in the Elite Eight, who was a four seed. Um, again, that's a historic program. That 98 team was really good for Arizona. And then the Final Four, 
beating North Carolina. They just went straight through two blue bloods and took it to the championship game. And I mean, you just have to remember Keith Van Horn, Andre Miller. Like these are guys that are up in the rafters, guys who had great solid NBA careers. And so for me, I didn't see it live in person, but that is going to be my my fifth top moment for me. I just I just want all the Run Needs fans to remember what it used to be like. Remember the good times. There's maybe good times ahead. Maybe next year we're praying. But that's gonna be my number five. There, there is a great Rick Majerus story associated with that tournament run. Uh, the story of them practicing their triangle offense in a hotel, what, whatever those big rooms are called, like those dining rooms. Like the uh, ballrooms? Yeah, the ballrooms, because they didn't have anywhere else to practice. So they practiced in one of, their, in one of those. Rick Majerus just absolutely lived, breathed, died basketball. So awesome moment. I totally respect it. Yeah, rest in peace to the GOAT. We love him. We respect him. Uh, prayers up. We love Majerus. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. Um, before we go, Richie, you have a new Twitter account. Um, use it. Use this as a plug, man. Let's let's get some guys to follow you on your new Twitter account. Yeah, all right. It's at Jazz Lead, um, L-E-A-D. I'm just covering the jazz, uh, doing a little bit of statistical stuff, showing some film, just showing some stuff that I like. Um, also posting memes because who doesn't love some great jazz memes, especially after that Sacramento game, dude. The memes were top tier. Had Walker Kessler blocking the beam in the sky. Um, you had the beam turning yellow because <laughs> light the beam, you know. Um, and the Bleacher Report put it out. They put it on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. uh, shout out to that guy. And I'm that Bleach Report post actually got taken down because the guy uh, reported it. So that was awesome. Um, but yeah, I'm just doing doing a little little bit of uh, social media on there. So if you'd like to follow along, get some good jazz content, then follow at Jazz Lead. At Jazz Lead is where you can find Richie. So as always, he's got the best jazz content. So check him out. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. We'll see you guys next week. 